The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. Starting with those guys, those characters who are the, the, you know, Philip Marlowe, I'm a lone wolf on the mean streets. You have Raymond Chandler, who's this, this, you know, smart, tough guy writing in these almost laconic short sentences, but, you know, a little Hemingway-ish because they have these reporter backgrounds. They're writing from Black Mask magazine. So they're short stories, they're short form works that eventually become longer novels of this hard-boiled PI style. And I just love them. I absolutely loved and bristled by the, you know, tr- the ways that these characters would abuse women. Philip Marlowe character, you know, by Raymond Chandler, slapping Carmen Sternwood around, you know, multiple times in the first couple of pages of The Big Sleep. And yet the seductive atmosphere, the tremendous writing, the evocative poetry, you know, a lot of folks, you know, just as a, a tangent, like, do make a point of saying, oh, well, I'm a, uh, yes, I'm a crime writing poet, but like, even the big sleep is, is a metaphor. And welcome back to The Writer Files. I am your grateful host, Kelton Reed, wishing you pages, patience, and perseverance per usual. Critically acclaimed debut crime novelist and poet, Margot Duwaihi spoke with me about what she learned from Gillian Flynn, subverting the hard-boiled mystery and writing a queer, iconoclastic, chain-smoking punk rock nun for her latest, Scorched Grace. Margot's an award-winning educator, editor, and poet whose first novel is Scorched Grace, the inaugural title published by Gillian Flynn Books, an imprint with Zando. It was named a New York Times Book Review Editor's Choice, Amazon Editor's Choice, Apple Books Best Book of the Month, and one of the most anticipated crime books of the year by Barnes & Noble, Crime Reads, Electric Lit, LGBTQ Reads, and many others. The book's been described as a lyrical mystery that kicks off a series featuring protagonist Sister Holiday, a chain-smoking, heavily tattooed queer nun who puts her amateur sleuthing skills to the test. Don Winslow, number one internationally bestselling author of Power of the Dog and City on Fire, said of the book, Margot's bold entry into the hard-boiled genre revitalizes it for our times. Skillfully plotted, propulsive, and deeply engaged with the communities it represents, Scorched Grace is one of the best crime fiction debuts I've come across in a long while. Margot has a PhD in creative writing from Lancaster University, is the co-editor of Cambridge's Elements in Crime Narratives series, and is the author of four poetry collections. 
Her writing has been featured in Colorado Review, the Florida Review, North American Review, PBS NewsHour, Portland Review, and many others. In this file, Margot and I discussed the winding path to celebrated debut novel, why we uphold a tragic misconception about writers, how to honor and repudiate masters of the noir genre, the ecosystem of her deep immersion and channeling of the muse, how to find the broad brushstrokes of causality in crime, why writers need to double down and follow their curiosity, and a lot more. Stay calm and write on. And don't forget, you can always support this show by heading to writerfiles.fm, where you can also sign up for email updates, get links to merch, and other resources for writers. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click follow to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher as soon as they're published and drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in to help other writers find us. All right, we are back on The Writer Files. I am very honored today to be joined by a special guest I have critically acclaimed author, poet, uh, extraordinaire, Margot Duaihi is joining us today. And I'm really praying that I pronounced your name properly. Absolute perfection. Prayers answered. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. This medium is one of my favorites. The intimacy of audio in our ears all the day long. I, I love what you do and I appreciate it. So it's just a great honor for me to be here. So thanks. Thank you very much for that. Yeah, we we appreciate your time and can't wait to pick your brain about all things writing and of course this uh, fantastic novel of yours. Everyone seems to be talking about. But yeah, I would love to pick your brain about kind of your superhero origin as a as a writer because you know I understand you've had as, as so many authors had this really interesting path to scorched grace and hanging out with uh gillian flynn but yeah let's talk about yeah this this interesting career of yours because you are also a uh an award-winning educator you have uh done quite a bit of editing yourself and of course published widely and a talented poet as well so talk a little bit about the cliff's notes of how you got here absolutely it's it might be more of a like middle march anthem (laughs) cliff notes and i'm I'm really passionate about being as open and transparent and vulnerable about the winding path and crevasses and free fall that got me to where i am at this moment which is sitting in my friend's house in savannah georgia uh, because i have a book reading at the historic e shavers booksellers here in savannah tomorrow night i'm on a 16 city book tour but you know i have i have worked as a campus security guard and escort i've worked as a hair salon assistant i edited technology white papers and magazines with a special focus on audio for many years i have taught part time and as an adjunct instructor in college. I will be joining Emerson College as a full-time tenure-track assistant professor of popular fiction starting the last week of August. I'm really excited about that new chapter. I've had about you know three to five jobs simultaneously since the age of 13, and I write you know widely across genres from poetry 
to noir short stories to novels and I'm highly experimental in all ways. And I say all of that because, you know, you have this great podcast devoted to the craft, the art, the life of writing. And I think there's a tremendous damage in the misconception that, you know, we just become writers. But, you know, all of my life experience, all of the jobs that I've had, all of the ups and downs, I, I funnel all of that into the art, into the vitality of whatever it is that I'm writing. And it makes my work richer. You know, sometimes I don't, I haven't seen the work published on the time scale or time frame that I would have liked. You know, I actually had the concept for Scorched Grace more than a decade ago. And it just sometimes takes time, you know, it takes time and you can be on one path that leads to another but it's all useful craft material. It all makes us the artists that we are. It expands our minds, you know, so I'm just a a real advocate and ally for folks finding your way through life, doing work that matters to you, following your curiosity. Uh, You know, I'll never be that person to just be like, yeah, yeah, I wrote a book and here it is. You know, it's just, it's so much more integrated into my life, my community, my family, my partnerships that have you know been just as important to me as my ever present art practice you know despite all the things that i've mentioned writing has been the thing the anchor the ground beneath my feet the sky above my head ever since the age of 12 i started writing poetry and it was there for me when i needed it it challenged me when i needed to be inspired and catalyzed and along those twin tracks of poetry and reading and writing poetry were mysteries. Reading them, watching them, loving them. And so I m- eventually merged them in both the study and craft of writing hard boiled inspired mysteries, and then, you know, creating basically a critical into creative methodology for my own work, which is, you know, honoring and repudiating and reclaiming that hard boiled sleuth lineage that is the real spark of scorched grace which is my kind of flip on the on the swaggering you know brio of a philip marlowe or sam spade or mickey spillane of those kind of classic and canonical pi stories and putting my own spin on it putting my own twist on it but also really honoring that legacy while working with it and against it that's very cool and of course, I want to talk about Scorched Grace and and all the praise that it's gotten and and how cool it must be now to kind of see the the reception and and how are you feeling about kind of how everything has has uh, sort of arrived at this moment and and talk a little bit about kind of the yeah the genesis. I mean, ten years ago to yeah. now must must feel pretty good. Yeah, it feels incredible. I'm just so <laughs> grateful. You know, I'm, I'm just that in that space of really trying to revel in it. I I struggled with self confidence for a lot of my life, and yet pushed forward because art writing is the thing. You know, I just always, even when I had those moments of doubt, which are perennial and ever present, I would still crack on with it. So there's just something really life-giving and essential about writing. So now to have the work received by both genre fans who love noir and hard-boiled, who love mysteries, 
Like we just had a great review today in the Times of London. You know, just hardcore mystery folks who <laughs> get it, <laughs> who who see what I'm trying to do, who you know see that I'm bringing a lot of love and M80s, you know, into this world, but also doing something different because I think there really is a just a great gift when I find something new within the familiar just as a fan. So it's been great to see the reception. It's been surreal. And, you know, sometimes I have to remind myself like this is all real and it's all happening. It just feels incredible. Honestly, it feels like really great. And I'm trying to lean into it and just so, so happy and so thrilled that my agent rolled the dice with me. She got the book in front of Gillian Flynn, who had just started her own unique publishing imprint with Zando, you know, an independent publishing company. And I can explain more about that if you, you know, if you need to know or you'd like mm -hmm. curious to know how that works. Sure. Yeah. She, you know, as you probably well know, Gillian Flynn is the bestselling author of Gone Girl and Sharp Objects, Dark Places, and had tremendous success with those books. Of course, she sold more than 20 million copies of Gone Girl and really changed the course for domestic noir and the psychological thriller in really exciting ways that, you know, put her at, as a cultural icon and tastemaker, as it were. So in, I think, the, maybe the past two years, there's been a lot of voices in the publishing industry about discoverability and trying to take on projects or even sort of shake up the old Leviathan models where you have these like large, you know, huge publishers like Penguin Random House, et cetera, just acquiring and getting bigger and bigger. And a publishing titan named Molly Stern started her own publishing company called Zando. She had published Gone Girl. She published Ready Player One, The Martian. She was the editor for Michelle Obama on Becoming. So a real heavy hitter in the industry and wanted to, to, you know, create a publishing company that took bold chances with new and exciting and intersectional and diverse authors who were quote unquote relative unknowns. So she started this catalyst partnership model within Zando. So you have these cultural tastemakers, these influencers like Gillian Flynn. So she said, you know, here, start your own imprint. You can publish whatever you like, whatever moves you, whatever you think is conversation starting and propulsive. Publish, you know, between four or five titles per year. And that is, you know, the Gillian Flynn imprint was born. And she also has Sarah Jessica Parker, who is publishing under the Sarah Jessica Parker or SJP Lit imprint. Lena Waif, the actor and, and writer, culture maker, has the imprint called Hillmangrad. And John Legend has his own imprint with Zando. <laughs> so, you know, um, Crooked Media has an imprint and they're great. You know, John Favreau and Love It, that crew. Yeah. So they're, they have their imprint with Zando as well. And The Atlantic, the wonderful magazine, has The Atlantic imprint. So it's a model that goes head to head with that idea where that a new author has to have like 10,000 followers on Twitter, you know, just to be able to 
come out with a new book. So you can take chances on new and really interesting, hopefully, authors like myself. So, (laughs) you know, Gillian read The Draft of Scorched Grace, loved it and made it her inaugural title for her imprint and something I'll never get over. It's a real miracle. That's so cool. Yeah, I've heard her talk about it. And um, it's funny because she was saying, you know, that she had been presented all these manuscripts for consideration and she uh, initially skipped over it, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. She's like, I'm not reading a cozy about (laughs) a a nun, you know. Too funny. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books, and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Jeez, yeah, the reception has been amazing. Congratulations. I know that you're very busy at the moment, but, and we appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Of course, Scorched Grace. I, I love some of the descriptions, but of course, it has been described as kind of, in a sense, subverting, you know, as, as you put it, like hard-boiled crime fiction tropes, but a lyrical crime novel that was named New York Times Editor's Choice, one of the most anticipated crime debuts of the year by, of course, Crime Reads. Uh, just a long list here uh, of acknowledgments, Barnes & Noble, Goodreads, Electric Lit, Book Riot, LGBTQ Reads, and then it was a Amazon Editor's Choice, uh, Apple Books Best of the uh, Book of the Month, Powell's Books Pick of the Month, one of my favorite indie bookstores of all time. Yeah. That's pretty cool. God, that's <laughs> such a cool place. But uh, yeah, um, it has, uh, again, had this incredible uh, outpouring by your peers, it would seem, described 
I think by you in your content advisor as a mystery crime fiction novel about stubborn hope, (laughs) justice reimagined, and queer resilience. In the New York Times Review, Sister Holiday, the protagonist of Margot Dwyer's showstopper of a series debut, Scorched Grace, isn't what you'd imagine a nun to be like, even in laissez-faire New Orleans. I cannot wait to read the sister's next investigation of mysteries and her own self. Yeah, talk a little bit about um, kind of, again, the genesis of this fascinating character and and series that you've created and and again kind of how you are in a sense kind of flipping these tropes on their head um again kind of your your mission to reshape crime writing in a sense yeah and in that and it again it starts with this deep deep love for the genre and just you know that those experiences of reading Sam Spade, for example, in Maltese Falcon, just, you know, the way he would kind of cackle um, like a maniac when he's has a gun in his face and, you know, Philip Marlowe basically like laughing when he's getting pistol whipped by crooked cops. There's just this like beautiful, basically these bastards like who are <laughs> so tough and you know, just again, these there's of course a long, long, long lineage. I'm just picking out a couple of exemplary examples that touched me, sparked me, got me obsessed. That mm-hmm. I'm with Sister Holiday and both honoring that lineage and also, you know, as a queer woman myself, as a lesbian, I'm a third generation Lebanese American. You know, there's been a lot of just erasure <laughs> slash, you know, characters like I've never seen myself in that canonical, you know, the 1920s, 30s, 50s, 60s, even 70s, or even, you know, really 80s types of crime novels where you're sort of searching for folks that look like you or I didn't, of course, start reading them until much, much later in the 90s, you know, 2000s, like I was a teenager in the 90s. But starting with those guys, those characters who are the, the, you know, Philip Marlowe, I'm a lone wolf on the mean streets. You have Raymond Chandler, who's this this you know smart, tough guy, writing in these almost laconic short sentences, but you know a little Hemingway-ish because they have these reporter backgrounds. They're writing from Black Mask magazine, so they're short stories, they're short form works that eventually become longer novels of this hard boiled PI style, and. I just love them. I absolutely loved and bristled by the, you know, tr- the ways that these characters would abuse women. Philip Marlowe character, you know, by Raymond Chandler slapping Carmen Sternwood around, you know, multiple times in the first couple of pages of The Big Sleep. And yet the seductive atmosphere, the tremendous writing, the evocative poetry, you know, a lot of folks, you know, just as a, a tangent, like, do make a point of saying, oh, well, I'm a, uh, yes, I'm a crime writing poet. But like hmm. the big sleep is, is a metaphor. The long goodbye is a metaphor. There's just a great lineage of crime writing poets that we can talk about like later too. But mm-hmm. these tough guys with their scotch and their cigarettes and their bloody knuckles who are also critiquing cops and who are critiquing the policing system, but they mm. uphold this idea of, of what it is to be, you know, a, a guy during a certain time, 
And but they're insider outsiders. They're unmarried. They often don't even have girlfriends. The Maltese Falcon, Sam Spade, is is you know arguably in love with his partner Archer. You know his PI partner Archer's wife, and he can't be with her. So there's there's a lot of subtextual glory going on in a lot of these PI books that, at their face, are about um you know finding a missing statue, figuring out who's blackmailing who. You know, figuring out work in some case for some client, but they're so gritty and they're so beautiful all in one. And I just became obsessed. I wanted to queer the form, I wanted to embody that tough, gritty, sardonic, headstrong, lone wolf type, but really flip it on its head. So my hardboiled inspired sleuth is a nun. She's a young nun. She's 33 years old. She's iconoclastic. She is <laughs> this like out queer riot girl, fisty cuffs, hot tempered, gold tooth having woman named Holiday <laughs> Walsh who makes this choice to join a convent in New Orleans. She retains all of her subversiveness within this convent. And so it was my way of like creating an insider who's an outsider, an outsider who's an insider, someone who's obsessed with mysteries herself because she is a mystery who holds the dialectic tension of being an unapologetic gay woman within a Catholic hierarchical papal authority fidelity situation. So it's like on its face, a lot of contradictions, a lot of paradoxes, but still communicates with these tropes that I find both phenomenally satisfying and highly problematic. So it's like, (laughs) that's why the character herself, you know, talks about mysteries and she, there's a lot of intertextual Mm. nods, a lot of Easter eggs for, for mystery fans that are woven in there that are really fun to write. And they also inform the character herself. Amazing. That's so cool to hear you talk about it. And your background is pretty fascinating. I think uh, obviously informs the work some because you yourself spent some time in both Brooklyn and New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned, kind of your love and your study of hard-boiled pulp fiction and we're kind of, we're kind of describing it as neo-noir mm-hmm. yes um yeah it really sings and obviously you know as you mentioned kind of the poetry piece is very evident but it's uh it's really really i think a, a book that f- for someone like me is just like I d- like i don't want to read it quickly because i'm kind of like just enjoying as you've said cause some of these intertextual pieces are just the language itself is 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 something to just kind of like bathe in a little bit, um, even though it is kind of a page turner. Anyway, congrats on the work. I thought it was cool that Don Winslow blurbed it and said, uh, Dwight, he's bold entry into the hard-boiled genre revitalizes it for our times. Pretty cool of him to say. Don, it's unbelievable. It's so cool. And a Crime Reads review had said, uh, Dwight, he's chain-smoking nuns. Sister Holiday may, may be the most original character you'll come across in quite some time. Dwight, he wanted to reclaim pulp tropes for a female protagonist, I have to say, Sister Holiday is punk AF. That that she is. Um, but yeah, talk a little bit about, I mean, you kind of infuse this character with obviously these demons and, and as you mentioned, some of this uh, 
kind of intertextual stuff, but talk about your own kind of experience as a, as a, as a punk. I, were you a punk rocker uh, kind of early in your... I wasn't cool enough to be a punk rocker, <laughs> but I, you know, the first time I heard uh, X-Ray Specs, Oh Bondage Up Yours, it was like a worshipful holy moment. And then, so the punk of, um, you know, the late seventies and the eighties was one thing, but then the, when I discovered riot girl music and just these anthems of both rage and ecstasy that are playing with just even the names of the bands like bikini kill and Bratmobile and huggy bear <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, L seven who I saw live and, and mm. just, you know, I grew up in Scranton, Pennsylvania which is a scrappy town. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, I would go with my friends, my friend Rebecca and and Roland and um, Mark, and we would just go and sweat and get thrown around like rag dolls. <laughs> you know what I mean? In like these, <laughs> these garage concerts with sticky floors. And, you know, sometimes they were like apartments that were attached to houses and parents would come out screaming and, you know, it was just community. It was queer people taking care of each other, finding solace in just music and thrashing around and very kinetic worship. To me, it was very freeing. It was very cathartic and fun. And just, I wanted to have that post-punk, post-punk riot girl, you know, those jagged edges and the beauty and the bravery and just freedom of that thrash, you know, thrashing guitar, like all the layers of of musicality that go into, let's just say, you know, punk largely defined. And that sensibility felt so right for a character who is a hard-boiled, hard-living, you know, formerly hard-drinking, hard-nosed, you know, that word hard is very important. So of course, <laughs> like, you know, it felt so right to give, bring in that punk angle for this character. So it's there in the back of her head when she's teaching her class, you know, as a nun, part of what her service <laughs> is teaching music at St. Sebastian's right. school, which is attached to the parish. And, you know, she's teaching them the Ramones and like one of the nuns comes in and is like, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> just like building in these moments of just joy and, you know, friction and frisson all in one where you have like, you know, and also for me, it was a great rediscovery. I listened to a lot of Riot Girl music as I was writing it and just reconnecting with a part of my youth and, and bringing that, oh, again, the, both the rage and the glory and fun and freedom of it all into this character who has taken this vow to live a very specific way. And we find out as you read, you know, what's going on, what motivated this change and why she becomes this obsessive sleuth what is the mystery she's really trying to solve and so there's these nested mysteries and the music it just felt so right another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. I mean, you talk a little bit about listening to uh, music to kind of get into the to the mode. Um, talk some about just your writing process and and what when you are, you know, getting kind of into flow state. What your best writing period kind of looks and or smells like are you a morning writer a evening writer somebody who morning and day the whole way no for as much as i love the our pulp and hard-boiled folks like i'm not you know like a creature of the bar anymore <laughs> it's not i'm not a late night person i sort of lose my edge around like seven <laughs> <laughs> but i do love that deep immersion in flow state i'm I'm a, I have a long, I have like a big ecosystem of how I write. There are stages. And so there's that initial ideation brainstorming stage where I am just channeling the muse, channeling the voltage, channeling the lightning to get some of those, like, I'll just close my eyes and sort of see it cinematically, feel it viscerally. That visceral connection is so important in emotion because I think art can do so many things intellectually and spiritually. Emotionally, though, is is very important for me as a writer. So making the notes. So I'm on, this is a trilogy that will be with the Gillian Flynn imprint. This Scorched Grace is the first book of that series. And I'm actually wrapping Blessed Water, which is the second book this month. You know, I'm wrapping it up really soon. I'm just doing some revisions on that. And so after that initial brainstorming stage is done, then I, then I plot, I have to plot, um, pen and paper, legal pad chapter. You know, I start at the end, essentially, I know exactly what the end is and I'll plot, do broad brush strokes for the causality and the chain of events, because crime fiction is so important to really make a, make it clear, you know, where are the clues? Where's the misdirection happening? The sleight of hand and, you know, language itself is part of my sleight of hand of Scorched Grace. The way that the character's constantly connecting unlike things through metaphor and the way she tells the story is also part of the mystery itself. So, you know, not to give too many spoilers away, playing with some, you know, narratorial unreliability. So then once I know the major plot points, it's like laying the baseline, then I can play with the melody. So then that's the real fun. You know, it's almost like left brain, right brain, although I think that's an illusion. Um, just for the sake of, of argument, like, because I think a lot of abstraction and artistry goes into the architecture and the engineering, of the blueprint. But so once I know if it's like a traditional Aristotle three-act structure, like it is in Blessed Water, then, okay, I've got my chapter one. I know my scene. I, I, I'm a scene-based writer. So, and I'm, I'm really a huge fan of ending each chapter with a piece of new information. That That's what propels the reader forward. If you want to create a kind of a page-turning genre piece, for me, it's really important to end each scene with some kind of a polarity switch where you either go from good to bad, 
or bad to worse or good to better, something has to change. Some value change has to occur so that you're not just kind of treading water, which can be sort of anxiety making, you know, avoiding that churn unless it's part of your strategy where you're, you know, basking in some kind of addled moment of self-torture or something <laughs> like that. But the the writing, you know, the the scene writing to me is like poetry. That is really my favorite aspect of the drafting process. That's where I love to start writing at 8 a.m. with my, you know, Chemex coffee and like strong cup of black coffee, go into the cave, write for like three or four hours, close the laptop, go for a run or go for a walk to the river, go to the gym, sweat it out, come back to it three or four hours later, talk to no one, no music. Well, during that kind of improvisation writing phase, like it's just real total silence because I'm just hearing the characters, hearing the frogs, the nocturne in the background, hearing the footfalls, hearing the wind through the leaves, whatever it is. And then, and then I call it, you know, I try to call it after eight hours of writing and that's, you know, a couple of months of that. It will is enough to feel like I've bloodlet and like had, hmm. had organ transplants and it could be very brutal. Like it's, I don't, you know, I try to give every single ounce of what I have into the work and then clean it up after, you know, after I get the draft done. So it's not sustainable to, for me to do it for more than like eight hours a day for a couple of months, you know, usually about three, four months of that drafting. And then you can go into it with your scalpels. And, you know, my editor, Serena Kamaf, is absolutely brilliant genius who has a remarkable double consciousness of being able to see things <laughs> from 30,000 feet up and down in the weeds. She's like one of those rare hands-on editors. And then, of course, you know, running things by Gillian herself, who is an absolute master and who I learned really, like, presented Gone Girl pretty much done. I don't think they edited it much, which is like utterly shocking when you look at that real just case study in in noir, you know, domestic noir. So I have an incredible team that, you know, is just phenomenal and sensational. And of course, my partner, Brie, who's my first reader, she gives me great, tremendous insight from just that external reader perspective. So I'm a huge advocate of a writing group, collaborating, sharing drafts. Cause you really, I, I need that distance to be able to see it. I thought it was cool. The New York times, uh, headline was a nun with very bad habits. <laughs> that in and of itself was just like, okay, that's perfect. That's it's, just, it's too good. But of course, of course you've had, you've heard some habit, uh, jokes. I love it all. Well, it's like, I love it because I actually am really leaning into the high camp signatures. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, we got some Sister Mary Clarence from Sister Act nod in the book, <laughs> you know, and I'm playing with all of that. I welcome it. Amazing. I love it. Yeah, I had one, and I'll run it by you. But, oh, please do. Please, um, please. And you had mentioned Mickey Spillane, but I was just going to say, um, Mike Hammer in a habit. <laughs> um, but hey, they got to laugh. 
Uh, <laughs> but uh, some some of your language and your and your um, uh, descriptions, I thought uh, when the I think it's the fire inspector set, calls Sister Holiday or asks if she's the school's death metal lunch lady. <laughs> um, I thought it was I mean I just was laughing out loud, and then of course um, my favorite new synonym. Uh, is incarnate incarnadine or incarnadine? Yeah. I, how do you pronounce it? Incarnadine. Incarnadine. Um, I w- I got a chance, and thank you for sharing the manuscript with me to uh, listen to the audiobook <sighs> and was pretty blown away by that reading. Oh, isn't she unbelievable? She yeah, uh, that that is amazing. It is as you had mentioned, is Mara Wilson. Yep, Mara Wilson, the one yeah, and only. <laughs> Yeah, and she's done some other really great work. But wow, yeah, that was cool. And I cannot say enough about how cool the uh, the cover oh, art art is. Astonishing. Will Stahl, and I hope I'm pronouncing his surname right. Well, it might be Will Stala. I think it's like either Scandinavian or Dutch. But he did a lot of Stephen King's covers. Uh, he did the Michael Chabon Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. Another mm-hmm. incredible heavy hitter phenomenal illustrator and designer i mean talk about a shattering cover like just taking that he read he always reads the manuscripts of the work he illustrates the covers for and he took that stained glass motif and just owned it so perfectly it's something i never could have imagined and yet is there like in the work itself that's what i love about this book world it's like you just have each person bringing so much art to these to every angle and his cover i just can't imagine the book or the series without his his covers they're incredible yeah that's very cool um well i could probably pick your brain all day i know that you gotta get moving and and you have plenty to do before we wrap up with your advice to fellow scrubs and just how to persevere i wanted to ask you a fun one of course uh if you could have dinner with any author from any era to your favorite spot in the world, or just drinks, if you you know if you're in the mood, um, who would you take? Where would you take them? All expenses paid, of course. It's on us. Well, James Baldwin. In <laughs> I would like to take James Baldwin to 1963 Paris and all right. Ask him how he came up with Giovanni's room. Just sit there, you know, with a glass of cold white wine and uh you know because if if it's if we can go anywhere it would be time travel so Mm -hmm. you know and just to be in a world with no cell phones and ask about what life you know is like in that way and to be inside of his mind would be a tremendous gift and he's one of my favorite writers and you know another uh gay literary icon uh you know black excellence author and advocate of just place and literary exploration yeah it'd be him no questions asked no hesitation (laughs) indeed very cool well yeah i guess just uh i will mention of course scorched grace and uh one last time your home base there margodewahi.com um it is an interesting spelling with a silent t so uh definitely go into the show notes to find that one um but that's your home base there of course you're out on tour doing some cool stuff and it seems like the tour the, is it the never-ending tour 
it just keeps growing. It, just, it keeps growing so and cool. growing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For like when, yeah, there's um, in the Hunger Games when the when the land just keeps like spinning and then they realize that it's on a clock. Um, <laughs> yeah, I will be in. So we're here in Savannah and then uh, Mystic, Connecticut and uh, Los Angeles, Scottsdale, Arizona with the incredible Gillian Flynn at the historic mystery bookstore called Poison Pen in April. All the tour dates are on my website. And, you know, if you're listening right now and you are a scribe, keep at it. Double down on your thing. Might take a while, might take longer than you might like, but it will happen. Just, you know, look at Scorched Grace as an example of that. Margo, thank you so much for your time, your words, your wisdom. We appreciate you. And uh, definitely come back. Uh, we'll be looking for blessed water. I thought for sure you were going to pronounce it blessed. I know. I, it's <laughs> half of the folks that I talk to say blessed. Maybe I should say, maybe with you, Kelton, now we've begun the new, you heard it here first here, folks. I'm going to now say An exclusive. Blessed water. <laughs> <laughs> amazing amazing um yeah well, we'll be really looking forward to that of course i think you even have a tv um adaptation in the works is that really happening also yeah we got lots of amazing. fun news coming really soon i will and again i will send you updates when when cool. you know more of the juicy details really start to drop amazing Margo, we appreciate you and uh, do come back in the future. Thank you so much. Definitely will. And best wishes to you all. Thanks so much for joining us for this file. And if you're a fan of the show, simply head over to writerfiles.fm for more. That's writerfiles.fm. Thanks for this great opportunity. I loved every second of it. And it is now officially blessed water. I'm not kidding. I am not kidding. <laughs>